Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week, and I've just been so excited about some of the things we've been sharing, especially over the last three weeks concerning the Feast of Tabernacles. We've been in this series now for probably, pretty, I don't know, somewhere around 40 weeks of sharing Roadmap to Reformation from the book of Ezra Nehemiah and from Haggai and from Zechariah and uh, from these books of restoration. Because I believe it's time to declare something concerning restoration and reformation. These things happen during a time of great chaos and upheaval. And while you've got a lot of prophets of doom out there today, I want to preach some good news and tell you that I believe we will go down in history as apostolic reformers, as I believe God is bringing an apostolic reformation back to the church again. And pictured in this series, Ezra and Nehemiah, to me, is a powerful pattern of the roadmap to reformation. Because although they are Old Testament pictures of the real natural restoration, they are also a type and shadow of a greater restoration and reformation, first of all, beginning with Jesus and extending throughout history. God is building His house. He's continuing to build His house. And what I showed you is how, especially with, I mean, there's, uh, throughout this whole series, I have showed you how Daniel connects this, and chapter, how Daniel, especially chapter 9, connects the day he's living at, because Daniel is in Babylonian captivity. They are coming up out of Babylon here. He connects it by telling you how long it would be until Messiah would come on the scene. He said, 70 weeks of years are determined upon my people. 490 years, God was telling him how long. And he told him that the wall and the street of the city would built would be built in troublesome time. That happened during Ezra and Nehemiah. He tells them from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem till Messiah the Prince would be 483 years. The commandment to restore and build Jerusalem was sent in 457 B.C. in Ezra chapter 7 under King Artaxerxes. Exactly 483 years Jesus comes on the scene. Zechariah prophesies and said there's a man whose name is called the branch. And then he prophesies, and we've especially connected this with this particular segment, Behold, your king comes to you, meek and riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. That's messianic prophecy concerning Jesus that happened on Palm Sunday, which we're about to celebrate probably pretty soon, or it's already passed when this is aired. But all of those things point to a bigger restoration of something bigger than just the historic value, but the tabernacle of God in the new covenant is not a place, it's a people. In the book of Revelation, the city of God is not a place, it's a people. It's the bride, the Lamb's wife. I've already, I think, taught plenty over the last 40 weeks to qualify that, so I'm not going to go back and review every time I say that. But it's the bride, the Lamb's wife. It's the city of God. It's the, for you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. He tells us, for you've come to Mount Zion, Hebrews 12. You've come to the, you have come to the city of of the living God. You've come to an innumerable company of angels, and you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So we're continuing to talk about this. But let me take my main text because we've been dealing with the water gate and we deal with the uh, Ephraim gate, but it's where they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. When they came back 
uh, into the land of uh, Israel to restore and to build the tabernacle. Interestingly enough, the first thing they do is institute the Feast of Tabernacles because it was a reminder of how at the end of the wilderness journey, uh, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles under Joshua to celebrate and, commem and commemorate how God had brought them out of the land of Egypt and made them to dwell in booths with divine provision, divine protection, with the divine glory cloud over them. It was to remind them that their wilderness journey was over. I think what we need to do is realize that our wilderness journey is over. And what I showed you in the last segment is that there's a stark comparison to the 40-year wilderness journey under Moses to the 40-year transition period from 30 AD to 70 AD when Jesus rides into town on a coat, the foal of an ass, to begin this Reformation project, and they sing Hosanna in the highest in the celebration to commemorate. I mean, they are literally preparing the way for him with the branches of palm trees and so forth, much like you would see in the Feast of Tabernacles. But the reality of it is, is that they were celebrating another exodus. There, there's so much I could say about it. The whole New Testament is full of an exodus paradigm including when Moses and Elijah speak to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, they spoke to him concerning his decease. The Greek word for decease there is exodus. So he's the leader of the real exodus. And there's another 40-year transition period from the time Jesus came until the, until the tabernacle was destroyed. When he stood there in front of the tabernacle of the temple, and he said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it back up again. This spake he concerning the temple of his body. But then he begins to prophesy on the Mount of Olives that not one stone would be left upon another which would not be thrown down. That happened exactly 40 years later when that old temple and that old tabernacle was destroyed and God moved into a new temple made out of lively stones. The tabernacle of God is with men and it was the celebration of the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles just like Jesus had fulfilled the Feast of Passover when he was crucified, and the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when he gave him the, the Holy Ghost, the Feast of Tabernacles was fulfilled historically at the 40th year after Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it back up again. And, he, and the temple of God was destroyed in 70 AD, and God moved into a new temple. And you will read that in Revelation 21 in the Message Bible, it says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home in men. And it's to commemorate that transition period and the beginning of that Reformation and the beginning of the restoration. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And then in chapter 21 and 22, it is the city of God, the bride, the Lamb's wife, the city upon which we have been built, the foundation of which is the apostles and prophets who laid the foundation who began this work and made a city that had 12 gates, just like the 12 gates of Nehemiah. I hope you can see that. Now let me just go back, because they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me just get, get this for you, and without reading all of it, because if I, if I do, I'll get bogged down again here. But verse 14 says, they found written in the law, this is, this is, this is uh, uh, Nehemiah 8, Verse 14, And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths 
in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount, and fetch olive branches, and pine branches, and myrtle branches, and palm branches, and branches of thick trees, to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth, and brought them, and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the street of the water gate, and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. So I want you to see that they did this during the uh, Feast of Tabernacles at the Ephraim gate and at the water gate. Now we've talked about the water gate and the Ephraim gate for two last two weeks. For since the day, for, uh, it says also day by day from the first day to the last, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to their manner. Now I want to come back again. I've already done a lot on the Feast of Tabernacles, but I want to pick up where I left off. I encourage you, if you missed them, go back to YouTube or to the podcast and re-listen to what we've taught already, because I can't review in every one of these. We, we see that this is fulfilled, the Feast of Tabernacles. Of course, we know that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Christ. He was the fulfillment of the tabernacle of God with men. The booth was remembrance of the time in the wilderness when God protected, led, and sustained the children of Israel in the wilderness. The wilderness experience was a picture of the 40-year transition period from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., which I just told you, because there was a supernatural environment for the people in the wilderness. The covering was the cloud. See Exodus chapter 13, 17 to 22. We were baptized into that cloud according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And in Hebrews 6, 1, two times, uh, or he talks about upon all the glory, there was a defense. The cloud was seen as the chupa, literally a wedding canopy. The cloud of glory in the new covenant is the people of God. See Hebrews 12, for Hebrews 12 says, for you've come to a great cloud of witnesses. It speaks, I could do a lot of stuff on the wedding chupa, but I don't really have time to do that. Here, the Greek word for, for uh, the Greek word skinos, which means tabernacle or booth or shelter or covering. This word appears in Revelation chapter 21. This is the word that is equipped. This, this same word, which means tabernacles or booth, is Greek. In Greek, is used to speak of Jesus during his first earthly coming when he said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And when he also said in chapter 1, uh, and we beheld his glory, and he tabernacled among us. So the same Greek word, skinos, is the equivalent to the Hebrew word sukkoth, or feast of tabernacles, or booze. Interestingly, let's see, uh, the, 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 word he, the, the Hebrew word for tabernacle is sukkoth. The Greek word for tabernacle is skene, which also means a tent, a hut, or habitation. With this in mind, let's look at, at the context by which the word tabernacle is used in the New Covenant. I'm going to give you several of them. If you're taking notes, you may want to write them down. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Jesus tabernacled among us. And, and Peter spoke about his body being a tabernacle in 2 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 14. The Apostle Paul told us that if our earthly house was dissolved, we have a building of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 5. The tabernacle of Moses was a tent of habitation. It was mentioned in uh, uh, 
as in Hebrews chapter 7 and Hebrews 9, 2 through 8. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, or it uses the term Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, lived in tabernacles or tents. The tabernacle of David was a tent of dwelling place, and it's used in Acts chapter 15. And when he talks about it in Acts chapter 15, he talks about the in-gathering uh, when the uh, Gentiles are being brought in, and all of a sudden God has jumped out of their theological box and He's including Gentiles, He has to go up to Jerusalem explain what just happened at the house of Cornelius and with the ministry of Saul becoming Paul and the Gentiles come in. They're having a big Jerusalem powwow in Acts chapter 15, and Peter stands up and says, To this agree the words of the prophets that I will return again and build the tabernacle. The word tabernacle there is the Hebrew word or the Greek word skenos, equivalent to the Hebrew word sukkoth. I will return again and build the tabernacle of David, which is broken down that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And so he's talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles. That, that text can also be found in Amos chapter 9 and 11, where he talks about after two days he will revive us, but on the third day he'll raise us up again, and he'll restore again the tabernacle of David, which was broken down. See, the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast of inclusion. And when I see even the branches, you know, there's so much in my spirit when I get to talking about this, it's inexhaustible and it's hard to capture in 30 minutes. But when I see, for instance, the branches of goodly trees, myrtle tree, the palm tree, the pine tree, the uh, olive tree, all the branches of goodly trees were brought together. They are sometimes branches of trees that don't normally grow together. And when I think about trees being symbols of people, but we're trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So when I think of him bringing the branches of goodly trees together, I see a feast of unity on the horizon coming as we start to understand this feast and this reformation that God wants to bring together people from different tribes and nations and kindreds and tongues, that it is inclusive. God wants to do something in this great Feast of Tabernacles because it's also called the Feast of Harvest or in gathering. And in order for us to be able to truly bring about a harvest or an ingathering, we're going to have to begin to bring together some branches of trees that don't normally grow together. Maybe black and white and red and yellow and uh, Hispanic and Chinese and Asian and Indian and all of the branches of trees and bring them together because there's only one thing in this hour that's going to be able to contain and house the glory of this incredible feast. And it's going to be a feast of unity as we begin to come together and bring together the branches and boughs of goodly trees. I think it is a time of in gathering. It's also called the Feast of Nations or the Festival of Nations. And so I think that's some powerful stuff there. When you see the tabernacle of David being restored, he said, this agree the words of the prophets, that now they're starting to understand it's not just God giving this covenant to Jews, but the house of Cornelius has been filled with the Holy Ghost. God is touching Gentiles and Jew alike and bringing them in one body to build this house of God and to build this, this, this Sukkot, to build the tabernacle of God that is with men because God 
has moved into the neighborhood. That's powerful to me. Uh, Jesus uh, also entered the tabernacle. Jesus entered the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'm going to get to this one especially in John chapter 7. We're going to touch that one especially before I finish. Because Jesus does something specific at the Feast of Tabernacles when He comes. Each one of the feasts that Jesus attends in the Scriptures, there's something significant that happens. As you can see, I've already connected. Behold, your king comes to you, riding on a colt, the foal of an ass, and they spread the branches of trees and begin to cry, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus then will go on and come to the Feast of Tabernacles, and he'll do something significant there. But we're just looking at places here where uh, the word for uh, the Greek word for a tabernacle or the Feast of Tabernacles is used. And also the last one is Hebrews 9, uh, verse 11, where it talks about the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not men. Like the other feast, the Feast of Tabernacles has an agricultural element to it. It marks the time of harvest, the final ingathering of the produce for the oncoming winter. It is also called the Feast of Ingathering. The feast was specifically designed as the season of my rejoicing. The, there is a custom of hospitality when they would have this feast of inviting symbolically for each day to join the family. They would have a symbolic invite every day to one of the patriarchs to join them during the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, and these booths, they would be uh, in the booth, in the, in the, and during this feast, let me calm down, they would, they would ask for honorary guests, and they would invite Abraham on one day, Isaac on another, Jacob on another, Joseph on another, Moses on another, Aaron on another, and David. One of them was invited each day. In other words, it is the in-gathering of all the harvest. Even you could see in this thing, even the idea of resurrection where the apostle Paul talked about, you know, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power, but it talks about Christ, the first fruits, afterward those that are Christ at His coming. And I believe in the resurrection that took place after Jesus was raised from the dead, in Matthew chapter 27, the Bible said there were seen in the city, many of those who slept came out of the tombs and walked down the streets. That, that, that walking down the streets was the fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits, where when the harvest paradigm would begin, they would walk down the street with sheaths and wave the sheath of first fruits, saying, Hey, there's a harvest that's began and is now underway. Let me tell you, because the first fruits of them that slept were arose when Jesus got up from the dead was a guarantee that a resurrection is coming, that we have a hope of a fullness of an in-gathering. And I won't deal with that too much except to say that there's a harvest paradigm that is used when we're talking about the feast of in-gathering. I'm probably jumping ahead of myself here, but you also see, no, I'm not jumping ahead of myself. There's The harvest paradigm is presented also in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus talks about the seed of the kingdom was sown. While men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. They came to Jesus and said, Do you want us to take out the tares? He said, No, leave them both grow together until the harvest. 
And the harvest is the end, King James says the end of the world, the Greek word is the end of the age. But see, the harvest that he was talking about is not the end of this age, it was the end of that age. It was the end of the age of the law, and the angels were the reapers, and the seed of the kingdom was the good seed of the children of the kingdom, and the tares or the bastard wheat. The reason they let them go together was because it was not just general tares, it was bastard wheat, and bastard wheat is something that looks just like wheat until it comes to full maturity. See, everything comes to a head at harvest time, so you can identify what is wheat and what is not. But in 70 AD, the angels were sent forth together and to reap the vine of the earth, and the good seed was brought into, hallelujah, the garners and into the tabernacle and into the temple, and the children of the wicked one, the tares were burnt outside the city with an unquenchable fire. That was the fires that burned in Jerusalem outside the city until the city was destroyed and the elements literally melted with a fervent heat. I'm telling you that in gathering and that harvest was at the end of that age as we move out of the old covenant time of mourning and woe and sorrow, understanding that the day of atonement is complete and now we've come to the Feast of Tabernacles where God has moved into the neighborhood and He's beginning to harvest. Now, I believe harvest is an ongoing paradigm. We sow, we reap. In other words, three times in a year, there's still a harvest. God is, there are people, in other words, individually, we still experience the Feast of Passover. We apply the blood. Individually, we still enjoy the Feast of Pentecost, and we each enjoy uh, the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Maturity, coming to maturity into full-grown age. Another name for the Feast of Tabernacles is the Feast of Nations. The Feast of Tabernacles was will be celebrated by all nations on earth during the Messianic age. And I believe we are in that Messianic age. Zechariah 14 through 16 and through 18 says, It is the fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham, that in you will all the families of the earth be blessed through his seed. That's something that he's doing right now, is blessing the families of the earth through the seed of Abraham, of which we are a part. And what you see is even in the Feast of Tabernacles, he goes on to tell them in Zechariah that whoever does not come up to the feast, there will be no rain on that nation. Now, let me just say this to you as well. Uh, all the sacrifices given during the Feast of Tabernacles can be divided by seven. Everything during the Feast of the seventh month had the perfect number seven printed on it, pointing to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice sacrifice and the perfect Sabbath. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 17 says that from the days of Joshua crossing into the land of Israel into his own day the children of Israel had not built the huts or the booths of the Feast of Tabernacles, but from Nehemiah's day forward the festival celebrated during the time of the second temple, the use, they used branches of palm tree or myrtle trees and of the willow. They also brought the fruit that was said, uh, that was, that was there to be, it was required to be brought. Christ is, uh, well, I, I won't go into that. I won't have time to go into, uh, Nehemiah 8 verse 14 said they found written in the law, of course, where they were supposed to build the Feast of Tabernacles, and they did that at the gate of Ephraim. 
Ezra chapter 3, verse number 7 also says, And when the seventh month was come, the children of Israel were in their cities, and the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. See, again, that speaks of a feast of unity and the blending of the branches of goodly trees coming together that don't normally grow together. And they stood as one man. I think if there's ever a call for unity in this hour, there's so much division in our country. But it's not just division in our country. There is so much division in the body of Christ. As I sometimes look at Christians on Facebook, I think at least don't be in a public forum trying to show the divisiveness that's out there among God's people. It's time for us to come together and have a feast of unity. Uh, And then they restored the altar of God. It said, Then Joshua stood up, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatile, and his brethren, and built the altar of God of Israel to offer the burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered a burnt offering thereunto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, which was seven sevens, according to the custom and duty of the day. Uh, well, we And then afterward, uh, they offered a continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feast of the Lord that were consecrated, and of every one willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the, month, of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They gave money also to the masons and to the carpenters, meat, drink, oil unto them in Sidon, and to Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon, and to gather all the materials they needed to build, uh, to, to, to build the temple, and to build the city, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And then Zechariah grabs hold of that and said, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt, but the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So God is gathering the nations to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, I I believe there's a gathering. In other words, I, I trust you can see this, that God is really calling us to an hour of restoration, an hour of reformation. That's why I'm really putting a great emphasis on this Feast of Tabernacles and this time of reformation under Ezra and Nehemiah. And you can say, I hope I'm making sense through seeing how it's connected with not just the historic backdrop of Ezra and Nehemiah, but how these prophets like Haggai and Zechariah prophesied concerning the greater fulfillment that began with Jesus and is still ongoing throughout our generation right now. And I believe there's a call of God right now to gather branches out of all kinds of different branches and to celebrate the Feast of Joy and to celebrate God's deliverance and to turn, you know what, Haggai said, return to me and I'll return to you. Now, I don't think in the new covenant God ever leaves us, but I do believe that we can walk away from Him. But I believe right now there's a turning back to the things of God and a restoration of the Feast of Tabernacle. It's time to celebrate. Well, we're out of time again. 
And uh, we really do need your help. If you'd like to sow a seed into this ministry, please just go to our website, and there is a place where you can give via credit card or debit card on our PayPal site. You can also give a check or money order by writing the address that will come on the screen, or you can call the number on the screen and someone will take your call. But do something today to help us take the gospel around the world. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When He uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.